Welcome. To Arcade Audio. and welcome to another episode of Shared History. Only you can prevent history. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Like From the- repeating itself. So okay. go out and vote, kids. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to... There's, I don't, there's I don't a wanna, positive message here yeah. somewhere. I don't want to prevent history because that sounds a little apocalyptic. And, uh, it sounds dark, doesn't it? Yeah, we would be out of a podcast. Oh, yeah. Guys, don't prevent history. But just the bad stuff from repeating it. Let's, yeah, make, yeah. let's make good history. Let's make good history choices. Happy, healthy history choices. I think that would be an excellent idea. Let's do that, Natalie. Yeah. We, could, we could do a podcast called Happy, Healthy healthy history but there wouldn't be a lot of topics to cover (laughs) um you heard her voice already so i'm going to introduce our guest today is actor coach and podcast host of the whole artist you may recognize her from chicago med because podcasting is a visual medium but if that isn't working for you you might recognize her as the voice of jimmy dean breakfast in their commercials she's an advocate for actors and just a gd delightful human being who i'm trying to entrap in a friend it's Courtney Rue. <laughs> Hi. Oh my God. Thank you so much. I am really excited to be here. And in fact, today we will be talking about happy, healthy history. Yes. No way. This is our yes. only episode of the Happy Healthy History podcast. <laughs> yes. Welcome to, welcome to Happy Healthy History with Courtney Rue. I love it Perfect. so much. Well, Courtney, before we dig in to an uplifting story from history, or at least a happy one, which is not impossible to find but sometimes feels very rare we would love to ask you if you like do you even like history or have we have we brought you here against your will (laughs) blank twice (laughs) it's not that i don't like history my husband is a history fanatic he like he would love to be on the show and would love he just i'm i have to share this podcast with him because he's obsessed with history but what i did was i took the concept of your podcast and I made it about something that I'm interested in more. We love that. That's the <laughs> so point. It's yeah, it's the history of something that I am interested in. Oh, I love that. See, yeah. so we took history and made it into something that we liked more, which is just not the history we learned in school. And that was right. just what we that's so it's all about twisting it. Twisting history. Twist that's twisting. what it should be called. Yeah. Was there We're like gonna a- come up with five different podcasts. <laughs> Twisted history, happy, healthy history. All three of us don't have nearly enough on our plate at a given time. No. Um, We're all (laughs) very low-key people who don't do a lot outside of just our regular workload. Never busy. Courtney, was there an area in history in school that you like liked studying? Or were you kind of just like, that's dusty old white men. No thanks, pass. I've always been interested, and I guess it wasn't always in school, but movies and books and things of Holocaust history has been just really fascinating to me. And I've just loved the stories behind that. That's not what we're talking about today in Happy Healthy History. That is not Happy Healthy History. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> 
but talk about like history not repeating itself right now you know Oof. Yeah. Woof. a big a big woof for me <laughs> i no, i understand that completely like i really love world war studying world war ii in general mm-hmm. if you're gonna if you're gonna make me do not specifically the golden age of the mediterranean i'll take i'll take world war ii i think it's fascinating <laughs> and also like i think like the history leading up to it is fascinating everyone go vote <laughs> yeah. Just, do you yeah. know why i think so many people i feel like so many people love the world war ii a lot of like the holocaust stories around that because there's so many movies about it mm-hmm. i grew up with, like watching so many world war ii movies so many like stuff surrounding the holocaust and those movies are always so heart-wrenching but like you gotta have good acting if you're gonna tell that yeah. story and i think oh, i always sure. loved all the performances from those yeah, a lot sure. of sad horribly amazing movies horribly sad but like also beautiful yeah you you learn a lot hopefully mm, yeah Yeah. horribly important Mm. yes i think that i don't know maybe it was just my teachers but i felt like my teachers did an exceptional job at like context and storytelling when it came to world war ii and and the holocaust that it was like very easy to track what happened and why it may have happened and then what the after effects of that happening were and i always felt like a solid through line of a of a story of putting the pieces yeah. together and kind of watching the history come to life before your eyes isn't that poetic mm-hmm. all my history teachers took great care with that that stuff which i think is why it was so interesting to me and a lot of my classmates who maybe didn't like history it's very heavy and very serious like we're gonna teach this correctly and we're not just gonna throw dates at you and like not Mm -hmm. emotional because it is i just found that like dehumanization and propaganda and all that stuff so interesting to to learn about how people's minds got warped you know you think that it can't happen in your country at this time but i mean we see it all over the place with dehumanizing certain groups of people and the propaganda and the lies that are going around and you're like oh it can't happen in 2020 in America. Yeah, I saw something really interesting. Uh, I think it was a, I hate saying this, I think it was a tweet. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was something like about education and saying like, they don't teach you the, they don't teach you what you need to know to overthrow mm. the system, to overthrow them. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But then you can... I felt like World War II and Holocaust were so othered in in when we learned it. It was very much mm-hmm. like this happened like so long ago and it's not that long ago and right. it happened elsewhere, but America staying out of the war for a very long time until it was for economic reasons mostly that we joined it was very what was happening here, but I feel like we didn't study that. We didn't study like why America was yeah. hanging hanging back and so it's very like distanced and that's interesting because it's like i always thought it would be interesting to to i'm upset i never studied abroad because i would have liked to have studied certain things in different countries and it mm. would have been interesting to study world war ii history and 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 like the holocaust sure in germany but like literally anywhere in europe compared right. to how we study it here since we had so, we had literal distance between us and a lot of it and the stuff that was happening closer to home you don't hear about as much it is that we didn't spend as much time on japanese internment camps in 
school, but we spent a lot of time on what was happening overseas because it feels safer, quote unquote, or like more comfortable to study. It's never too late. It's never too late to go study abroad. Just going to put that out there. Oh, I mean, you're right. But also it's so much easier to say like, coulda, shoulda, woulda. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting you said that they don't teach us how to respond to, like they teach us a history, but not how to like respond or react. I saw some story where there was some high school teacher. I don't know if she was like a history teacher or a civics teacher or something, but she says every year she creates a regime Like she starts doing just like little classroom rules, taking points away for certain things. And she slowly kind of makes a microcosm. She gets other teachers involved and they, and she's like, if you rat out your, your student, your fellow classmates. And she's like, every year the the students get so pissed, but they fall in line. They start whatever. These anarchist children today, God bless them, started a goddamn revolt. Yes. Like they full on, like they, they like got together. They're like, you guys, they can't treat us like this. Like they got out the school handbook and they're like, look at this. Let's band together. They started like a little mini protest. They didn't, they also didn't know that she was doing this. This wasn't like, guys, we're going to practice dictatorship today. She was trying to like trick them, whatever. And they're like, nah, we're not going to stand for that. That's amazing. I thought it was fabulous. Where is it? I don't know. I read this. It was when all of the, um, the student protests for school shootings were going on. And they were talking about, um, kind of this generation of kids growing up now and how they are so much more well-informed and Mm -hmm. advocates for themselves because they have to be, because no one's advocating for them right now. And it was, it was sad, but it was really cool to see the intelligence level of the children. The upside of, um, social media. Yeah. Yeah. But let's get back to happy, healthy history now. Yeah. (laughs) Now that we've covered everything sad and depressing. (laughs) I'm so sorry. So speaking of depression, um, so what do you guys think is the most common treatment for depression? Vitamin C. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you were to go, if you had depression and you went to see someone. I was like back back in time. Sorry, my mic is doing weird things again. But back in time, I'd be like electroshock probably because I feel like that's. (laughs) How we handled everything. <laughs> well, chocolate uh, and snaps. <laughs> Diet and exercise. Okay, so uh, like the most common treatment is is not what I'll be talking about today because you know you guys want to know about the overlooked and underrepresented. The most common treatment is is like psychotherapy and drugs, right? But an often overlooked and unrepresented form of treatment is something that's actually six times, well, up to six times more effective, and it's positive psychology. I was going to say the power of positive thinking, and then I was like, (laughs) is that two cheese balls? (laughs) (laughs) Or is it just enough cheese balls? Just enough cheese balls. I am really interested in positive psychology, and I reached out to my friend who actually just got her master's degree in it from the University of Pennsylvania. And I was like, hey, I'm going to be on this podcast. And like, can you point me into some like good information about it? So she told me about this book, Flourish by Martin Seligman. And then also, do you know Coursera has free courses um, in this there's a free course from the University of Pennsylvania that Martin Seligman and other positive psychologists teach 
about positive psychology. And then Yale, I think maybe Yale, maybe Harvard has one as well, the science of well-being. So like there's lots of free information if this is something that interests other people other than myself. But before I talk about the history of how positive psychology started, I kind of want to talk about, you know, traditionally back in the 60s, like traditional psychotherapy was about reducing misery and conflict. You wanted to get to a zero. There was no like getting above zero. It was like just um, minimizing sickness, disease, minimizing suffering. It was pretty what they call deterministic, meaning your childhood determines your future, which is why I think like when you go to the therapist, they're always like, tell me about your parents and like mm. your childhood. And like, which I, that was like the worst part of therapy for me. Cause I was like, can you just give me some action steps to take? And I'll go, <laughs> I'll just go do, can you just go tell do me something. What to do? <laughs> give me some books to read or something. You know, I don't want to talk about my childhood. In, um, the, in the words of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. <laughs> Just tell me what to do, Father. <laughs> oh. That was for Cass. <laughs> Thank you so much. I was thinking about restarting Fleabag yesterday. Hey, you I know might what? have so to good. now. You might have to. It's so good. So positive psychology is actually the scientific study of what makes life worth living. Um, and it focuses on character strengths and behaviors that allow you to build a life of meaning and purpose. And it's not just about like weeding the garden, getting the weeds out of the garden, but you know, you have to plant the food, the veggies, the flowers that you want and tend to them, not just like pull the weeds out. So the positive psychology that I studied, it, it's been around for about 20 years, but even before that, even before like scientific studies happened, there were philosophers who were talking about it. So philosophers like Confucius, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and even more recent psychologists and philosophers like Maslow, Maslow you know, the hierarchy of mm -hmm. needs, and William James talked about flourishing. They talked about happiness, well-being, how to live a meaningful life. There was even a Greek term called eudaimonia, which essentially means happiness, the, the condition of human flourishing, living a, a you know, well-meaning life. Eudaimonia was actually an activity. It wasn't a state. So it was something that you could do to, to get there, right? Um, action steps. Yes. I like it as Love like action. a hobby. Like what are your favorite <laughs> hobbies? Oh, you know, sometimes on the weekend, I like to just kick back in eudaimonia. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Maslow even coined the term positive psychology, but it wasn't until Martin Seligman came along and other positive psychologists that were doing like random placebo controlled studies that proved positive psychology as an effective treatment to depression versus or in conjunction with like the treatment as usual and drugs. So how did we get here? You know, what, what did Martin do first? So he graduated. Yes. <laughs> I will. He graduated in philosophy in 1964 at Princeton University, which totally when you have you ever been to Princeton, it like you're like, I met Hogwarts. So beautiful. That's Yale too, I, but I've never been there. That's how I feel whenever I'm whenever I have to like go down to a uh, uh, University of Chicago in Hyde Park. I'm always like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I went to Princeton, I just played the soundtrack to Harry Potter as I walked around. <laughs> That's fine. I wore I robes. Went... People thought I was weird, but I liked yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I liked it. <laughs> and then um, after he did that, he was like, well, that's not really enough. That was a good start. So uh, then he earned his PhD in psychology 
1967 at the University of Pennsylvania, and that's where he's been, I think, since. And in 1964, he was studying learned helplessness there. Do you guys know about learned helplessness at all? No, but I feel like it defines my very being sometimes. <laughs> this I was year, feeling very akin to it already. This year, that resonates with me a lot. Oh, yeah. So it was this great ethical study where they used dogs because, you know, animal testing is so Why? great. Why? But... Why dogs? But, you know, it's helped us a lot in the field of psychology. So anyway, these dogs, they, they heard a tone and then they got a shock and they, they like learned there was nothing they can do. They would still get the shock. And then they would, were put in shuttle boxes where they could get out and escape if they wanted to. But because of learned helplessness, even though the situation was different this time, they still thought that they were helpless and they didn't leave the box, even though they could have when they were getting shocked. And then they did the study on humans as well, and the same thing happened. So learned helplessness is like if something traumatic happens to you and you feel like it's out of your control, then anything really that happens in life, you feel like it's out of your control and there's nothing you can do about it. And if they talk about it being like pervasive, it's about everything in your life. It's not just about this one thing. It's permanent. It's not just for this moment in time, right? They also found that only, only, it's a lot. Two thirds is a lot of people, right? Two thirds of the people learned learned helplessness, but one third of the people did not. And what they learned was the one third of those people were optimists. And they learned that you could, if you could teach people optimism, that you could actually prevent depression because learned helplessness had all the symptoms of depression except for suicidal thoughts. So there's like nine symptoms of depression mm-hmm. and learned helplessness had all but the suicidal thoughts. Hey, Cass. Yes, Nat? Would you say you wear your love of Iowa on your sleeve? You know what? I I would actually. Is it because you regularly shop at Raygun? Oh, you mean the greatest store in the universe? The most important clothing store the earth has ever seen since the early Mesozoic era? The one that started in Iowa and now has stores throughout the Midwest? Mm Mm-hmm. That's the one. Yeah, I do own a lot of Raygun products, specifically ones that brag about Iowa. So yeah, I guess I literally wear my love of Iowa on my sleeve. Cool. Just checking. Did you know that this podcast is sponsored by Raygun and that Raygun has stores in Des Moines, Chicago, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Kansas City, Omaha, or you can shop online at raygunsite.com? Yes. Yes, I know all of that. Of course you do. Use promo code SHARYOULATER to save on your next order. You don't need to be obsessed with Iowa to shop there and enjoy their stuff. But it never hurts. (sighs) That's raygunsite.com. Promo code SHARYOULATER. So, like I said, if you could teach people optimism, then you could prevent depression. So this was like a little light bulb, I think, in in Marty's head going, huh, okay. And then in 1998, he was declared the president of the American Psychological Association, aka the APA. And he gets this mysterious email. And it's just from this guy named PT. And it just says, why don't you come see me in New York? That's it. Okay. <laughs> Intrigue me. I feel like I, I feel like at some point his parents probably taught him not to reply to such an email, but that (laughs) seems like it would cut the short story short. So I'm sure he did. Well, 
first he talked to a friend, a fellow colleague, and she knew who PT was. So oh. she knew who everybody was. And she's like, oh my God, you have to go see PT in New York. So he goes to New York. It's this rundown building. Again, like all these red flags, right? This rundown building. <laughs> yeah. No sign on the door. Just these like two guys in a conference phone. PT says, hey, we're lawyers for this anonymous foundation. We pick winners. You're a winner. Okay. What research and scholarship do you want to do? Uh, but hey, if you tell anyone, if you find out who this anonymous foundation is and you tell anyone, your funding goes away. What? This is so a really super weird shady. This is a super weird reality show now. <laughs> it's how the apprentice happens. It's um, like Apprentice Fight Club because you can't talk about it. Totally. The first rule about uh, philanthropy don't talk about <laughs> philanthropy. <laughs> It cancels so, it out if you talk about it. <laughs> First, he tells them he he wants to study ethnopolitical warfare. And they're like, okay, great. Write up a budget and a one-pager. And so he does. And then two weeks later, he gets a $120,000 check in the mail. And he studies ethnopolitical warfare and he writes a book about it. This is in what year was, I think this was like 1997 or something, 1998, something like that. Then in 2002, and when he's like almost forgot about this foundation, they come back to him and they say, okay, what's next? And he's like, oh, okay, how about positive psychology? And they're like, oh, tell us more about positive psychology. And he talks for 10 minutes and they're like, okay, write up a three pager, give us a budget. And then a month later, he gets a $1.5 million check in the mail. Wow. A apparently, positive psychology is worth more money than... <laughs> I, I don't feel that... Warfare. <laughs> I don't feel that comfortable mailing that kind of money around. My father-in-law sends, you know, money, like actual money in birthday cards, which I don't feel comfortable with. It's like a $50 bill in a birthday card. I'm like, do you know how often that gets stolen? That's putting a but, lot of trust in the U.S. Postal Service. And I honestly, know. I kind of He should. It. Yeah, I respect it too. I trust the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, so yeah. Everyone so go buy stamps. Yes, please. Uh, by the way, The Daily Show? Wait, John, uh, not, no, not The Daily Show. The one with John Oliver. Last Week Tonight. Yeah. Has uh, special postage stamps right now that you could buy. And they're really funny. Oh my God. I must. I must. I simply must. You must. I'm surrounded by so many different stamps right now because I'm at my, I'm at my letter writing desk, ladies and gentlemen. It's where I write letters and then I seal them with my fancy Do you send them out to left swinging voters in swing states? Oh, you mean with Sincerely Chicago? I do. (laughs) I don't don't use my wax seal with them. Oh, you should. I feel like that's Um, like a little over the top. I feel like (laughs) I would be scared if somebody sent me a letter out of the blue that was like, hey, are you registered to vote? And then also signed it like it was like an old timey Pride and Prejudice parchment. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty on brand for you. I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) Okay. So then he goes, uh, this is after he studies positive psychology. I thought this was just a, a nice little part to it. He goes a third time. Um, but this time he doesn't get any funding, but he finds out who this philanthropist was. Um, oh, well, that's why he didn't get any funding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, there was an American law that said like, oh, you have to, you have to give a name to this. You have like, you can't just have 
you know, a sign, no sign on the door and be like, we're anonymous. You have to give yourself a name. So it's Atlantic Philanthropies. The guy's name is Charles Feeney, and he's an Irish American businessman who made his fortune in duty free shops and donated it all, $5 billion, to trustees to do good work. And Shut so this guy who had $5 billion and was like, I want to give it away to good people doing good things. Good on you, Charles Feeney. We're real. My first first thought was like, no, people don't do that. And then I'm like, Cass, that's not optimistic. (laughs) That's exactly the opposite of everything Courtney is telling us right now. You're learning. You're learning, Cass. (laughs) Cass and Courtney, do, do you two, do either of you consider yourselves an optimist? I do. Cass looked at me with a blank I stare. consider myself, I Please consider myself consider... an optimistic cynic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cynical mm-hmm. optimist. I like think, I yeah. am always, yeah, I'm always like positive, but I just am like, I don't know, people are shitty, but bad things are going to happen, but I can have fun doing them. <laughs> I wouldn't say <laughs> I'm optimistic, head... I'm positive. There it is. My husband uh, says he's not a cynic, he's skeptical, and that it's good to be skeptical because there that are so many people out there. Well, because not every yeah. not every anonymous email that leads you to mm-hmm. a like ramp like a rundown house in New York is going to end in you getting over a million dollars to do what yes. you, to do what you've always wanted to do. Oh, actually, the second time he went, it was in a better building on a okay. higher floor, with better view. It had a, maybe it had a sign on the door. I can't remember, but um, definitely still. No, no. When we make this movie, it's gonna be a creepy, <laughs> shitty, empty <laughs> office building every single time. Every that's time. what the movie's yeah. gonna be. We're we're only gonna use we're gonna use sound effects from a very generic haunted house like Halloween movie soundboard, yeah. and everything's just gonna be like. <laughs> That's it. The whole time. Just every time somebody does anything, something's going to creak. <laughs> <laughs> so years later, Marty, I like to call him Marty. We're on a first name basis, nickname basis. He calls Charlie, Charles Feeney, to thank him and tell him what a huge difference he made in the field of positive psychology. And the, actually the guy was like a little like weary of the phone call because I think he thought he was going to like be asked for more money. And when Martin Seligman thanked him, he was like, huh, nobody's ever thanked me before for this. Here's a million dollars for saying thank you. (laughs) But it's like, well, yeah, because you were anonymous for years. (laughs) So maybe if you want to be thanked, you should not be anonymous. So his first theory in 2002 was in his book, Authentic Happiness, and it really focused on happiness, and obviously, authentic happiness. It had three elements, positive emotion, engagement. Have you guys heard of the term flow? Yeah. Like when you're doing this podcast, you're probably in flow. Time goes either like stretches on or or goes by very quickly. You really enjoy what you're doing. It's challenging, but it's meaningful. Like, you know. Yeah. You you don't really notice anything besides the podcast. The task at hand. The yeah. task at hand. Um, mm-hmm. So so positive emotion, engagement, and meaning. 
Um, but his one of his colleagues was like, hey, you omitted success and mastery. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who like achieve for achievement's sake. So he kind of changed his whole theory about uh, and, and made it not just about happiness, but about well-being. And there's five elements of well-being are it still measures positive emotion. It still measures engagement and it still measures meaning. But this time he added positive relationships and accomplishments or achievements and there's a little uh oh shoot what do you call the thing where it has it's like perma p-e-r-m-a and p is for positive emotion and e is for engagement and r is for relationships m is for meaning and a is for accomplishment oh uh, an acronym yeah acronym. Thank you. so perma is the acronym that you can use to remember what uh the elements of well-being are and the goal is really to increase life satisfaction. And it's about flourishing, not just about happiness. And I thought a funny little side note is they talk about there's the study done couples with children are less happy than couples without children. And so if you're just talking about happiness, uh, you kind of miss something. And mm -hmm. if but if you talk about like, you know, positive relationships and and meaning and things like that, uh, it, people with children there's obviously a reason why most people end up having children because it's, it's not just about happiness, right? Mm -hmm. So like I said in, in the beginning, there was this huge, large study done of highly depressed people and the people that received positive psychology, 55% uh, of those people went into remission from depression and only 20% went into remission with treatment as usual. So like therapy. Mm -hmm. And then only 8% went into remission with treatment as usual plus drugs. So the drugs actually made it worse. And there was another study done with the drugs. They, it was only a 65% relief rate. And actually the placebo was a 45 to 55% relief rate. So there was barely any difference between the placebo and the actual like antidepressant drugs. And they talk about the difference between curative versus, I'm going to forget this other word, curative versus something else where it's just like you get rid of the symptoms, right? So like depression drugs, you get rid of the symptoms, but it's not a cure for depression. But when they were tracking the people over a year, the people with the positive psychology exercises, they actually reduced the depression um, the, the whole year that they tracked them. And so I just thought it was really interesting that, you know, drugs are what like a billion dollar industry, like um, I have that here somewhere too. I have like all these little post-it notes, which is not super effective, but <laughs> <laughs> um, depression treatment costs $5,000 a year per case. And there's about 10 million cases per year. So it's really wow. expensive. And then we have this like free treatment that people don't really use because there's no money to be made in like curing it, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of yeah. sad. But do you want to hear about the, the kinds of exercises that are involved? Let me get a pen and paper. Yes. Right. <laughs> like everyone, if you're driving, pull over, 
<laughs> and, and take notes or remember to come back to this episode because I think we could all use this. Yeah, I thought it was a good time to do this episode because I know there's a lot of depression and anxiety happening right now with everything that's going on in the world, all of the things that make us depressed these days, COVID and And now the sun's people. setting earlier. Oh <laughs> gosh. Seasonal depression on top of everything else. Woo! Give us a break. <laughs> Seasons. <laughs> um so something you've probably heard about, especially if anybody listening follows me, I talk about it all the time, is the exercise they call three blessings or just what went well. And it's just writing down three things a day that either went well or you're grateful for, or three, if you, if you think of them as blessings, three blessings in your life. It could be really simple. It could be really elaborate. Uh, it could be something like, I didn't fall down today. You know, like... <laughs> It'd be anything, just three things that went well today and why you are grateful for it. Another exercise that I really like is just doing an act of kindness for other people. So Martin Seligman talks about when he had to go, this must have been a long time ago because do you remember one cent stamp? Now they're forever stamps, but before they were like, you had to go to the post office and buy one cent stamps whenever stamps increased by it. Yeah. I have in front of me right now, I have a, I have like some two or three cent stamps because I have, I have postcard stamps that I think predate when they use, when they started doing forever postcard yeah. stamps. So I have, I had, I just had to buy a couple. So imagine you're like in a line at the post office and there's a line like 10 people deep and it's taking just like hours and people are just trying to get one cent stamps. So Martin's in online for a while and he gets there and he spends what $10 on um, 10 sheets of, of one cent stamps, right? And he goes, who wants one cent stamps? And he hands them out and everybody in line leaps. They're like, yeah, thank you. This is exactly what I was here for. And then he felt really happy about doing that like kind thing, like surprising and mm -hmm. kind thing for other people. So it's just figuring out something that you can do that's unexpected. That's like a kind gesture towards other people that will actually make you happier. Cass, this is um, really, Cass, this is really speaking to my, my love language is grand gestures. <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh, tell me, tell me more. Oh. I just, I just love doing really dumb, elaborate things. Things <laughs> sometimes it's you, it's it is often taking a bit too far, uh, and it's just become a running joke of just like, no, 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 you don't like, you don't have to do something for me. You don't have to thank me. I'm doing this for me. My love language is grand gestures. <laughs> great that I love is there's this strengths test that you could take. If you go to via, V-I-A, viacharacter.org, um, you take this strengths test and it tells you the 24 strengths in order from top to bottom. And it doesn't say like strengths and weaknesses. It's like, here's your 24, here's, here's the strengths in list of, you know, your top strengths to your not so strong strengths. And before you take the test, you can write stories of like when you're at your very best. And what he says is that like your top strengths are probably going to show up in what you do, like the stories that you're telling about you when you're at your very best. So actually my top strength, can you, I, I want you to just take a stab at it. Like, what do you think my top strength is? Communication. Because I don't know what's. 
It's like I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what I'm pulling. It's something from, but... that I okay. It's something that I had to do for this podcast. Oh, is it research? <laughs> it's love of learning. Yay! Oh, like, oh, that's so great. So you guys actually helped me work on my top strength. You're welcome. We like to say we make <laughs> we we're the podcast that makes their guests do a lot of homework. But you know what? We're this time we were helpful. Yeah, you you got me in flow and engagement and like you gave my life meaning. Oh, we got we got you bur- we got you burning through that stack mm. of post-its. Um, yes. we're using that on all of our promotion. Yeah, that's gonna be our our quote. You gave my life meaning. <laughs> Tune Natalie, into the podcast. Natalie, start working that, on that. Yeah, tune into the podcast that gave Courtney Rue's life meaning. Not her podcast, <laughs> our podcast. <laughs> but also tune into her podcast. It's a lot of fun, and I enjoy it immensely. Thank you. That also gives my life meaning. So another thing you could do with these twenty-four strengths is uh, you could have your partner take the test as well, and you can find a date that you could do together that uses both of your top strengths. What if the you answer know. to all of them was escape rooms? What if no matter what your top strengths were, the recommended date was an escape room? Duh, why not? I, I feel like you can make it work. So bizarre, Love but also learning. true. Escape room. Yeah. Creativity, es- escape room. Problem solving, escape, escape room. room. Grand gesture. Escaping escape. things. Escape, escape room. My number one strength is escape rooms. <laughs> Take it to the bank. Um, you can also have your family members do it. And then you could do like a family tree of strengths to see like maybe where your strengths come from. Or is it a surprise that you have these strengths? Are you an outlier in your family? Uh, but what it does, what the strengths test does is it, you know, for someone who's severely depressed and thinks that life doesn't have meaning, you know, something like this could tell you like, this is the real you. And when you do these things, there's like excitement around it. There's flow, like we talked about, there's um, like a a yearning to use it. There's almost an inevitability that you will use it. It's invigoration versus exhaustion. So like, the things we're bad at when we do them we're exhausted but the things we're really good at they give us energy and they give us charge so if you know what you're really good at you can purposefully create your life around that it makes you pursue and create things that have meaning to you right so i I really like oh sorry that just made me think of and i feel like this is a very cliche or whatever but I was just thinking Mary Poppins like a spoonful of sugar helps medicine go down and it's like yeah you don't want to do something shitty but if you can get get yourself excited about it in some way then yeah I don't know I love when I'm able to do that like I don't want to do this but I find a way to like make it fun or whatever Mm -hmm. which seems so cheesy but so yeah it's either like changing what you do so that you're doing your strength or it's reframing your mindset around it in that like oh i don't like this thing but but actually it utilizes one of my strengths which is this so it's kind of yeah like reframing it and giving some sugar to the to the medicine just a spoonful of sugar Uh, 
Thank you so much for doing that. I just wanted yeah. to sing. I wanted to use my strength. <laughs> <laughs> um, another, there's two more exercises that I'll talk about. One is the gratitude visit. And this is, um, so right now, close your eyes and think about a person that has helped you immensely in your life, changed your life in some way that you have never thanked. And when you're done, open your eyes. So the exercise then is to write a like 300 word testimonial to them, thanking them for helping you in your life in whatever way it was. And then you call them up and in COVID times, you can't really do this, but you ask to see them in person. And so maybe it's a Zoom meeting one of these days and you read the letter to them cool. in person if you can with a mask, wear your mask uh, or via Zoom. And this isn't as uh, probably like the kindness exercise might, it might not be as long lasting as something like the, the three blessings, which you do every day, that's mm -hmm. longer lasting, right? But it's still, it makes you feel good to, to thank someone and reach out to them. Um, and then another thing is just like, be aware of how you're responding to people's good news. So it's active and constructive responding. So it's using verbal and nonverbal things. My words escape me. Um, so like if someone says, oh, I got a promotion at work, it's like, oh my God, congratulations. You're like looking at them, you're smiling, you're excited. You're like, tell me everything, what happened? Like it's very active and you're, instead of just like, I, the opposite extreme to that would be like, yeah, what do you want for dinner? <laughs> it's the response, not yeah. looking at them, not smiling, like, that's a bad relationship. So those are some, uh, some positive psychology exercises, which are free and easy to do uh, and are more effective than antidepressant medica medication. I love that so much. It, the, the three blessings made me think of, and the other day I was talking with a bunch of improvisers and we were doing a lot of really dumb bits and we were like, wow, can you tell that we miss improvising together? <laughs> because this has gotten out of hand uh we've basically improvised a web series we need to calm down <laughs> but it, it's funny when you mentioned that i was like thinking of thinking of all the wonderful free therapy that i would get at the beginning we i had a lot of coaches and teachers who at the beginning of class or rehearsal would always do uh, a rose and a thorn Mm -hmm. that exercise of like sharing a rose from your day like something that went well or that like you enjoyed or that brought you joy and it didn't have to be monumental sometimes it was i had time to take a nap yeah. um which let's be clear naps can be monumental oh but yeah so and then it was like oh like a thorn and it was it was always so nice to like take that moment to think about what the things were and sometimes feel silly about what your rose was or what your thorn was, but everyone in the circle, like listening to you and, and basically being like, that's great. Or like, oh, that sucks. I'm so sorry. Let me know yeah. if I can help. Also, I love situations where you can say something that is bothering you and nobody tries to fix it. Right. <laughs> like, that's huge. It's just like, I just want to vent. I don't want you to fix it. That's yeah. what I've learned to say. Um, if my friend is complaining to me, the coach inside of me wants to like coach them. Like I want to fix this. I want to, I want to, I want to yeah. fix you. And I've learned to say, do you want coaching on this? Or do you just want to talk about it to me? And, and sometimes they're like, yeah, I want coaching. And sometimes they're like, no, I just want to vent. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, right. I, I, I know what I could do to fix this. I just yeah. need to, it's poopy. And I want to say that it's poopy. And then yeah, I want you to poopy. say, yes, that's poopy. And then we're, yes. and then I'll feel better. <laughs> I feel like, like I, like that thing of responding actively, that tends to turn into an opinion or advice. You're like, mm-hmm. I don't oh, you will maybe try this or, you know, I think this. And I've really tried to, even if I just say that sucks, no one wants them to just tell me what to do unless you ask. And it's really hard to kind of retrain yourself to do that of like, yeah. oh, I'm just going to listen to what you're saying. Take it in and, and empathize with yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not fix. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, just listen is sometimes all someone needs. Um, actually, a famous, now famous, I think, positive psychologist Angela Duckworth was on Armchair Expert. Do you listen to that podcast? I do periodically. So actually, he has a lot of positive psychologists on there. Tal Ben-Shahar was on there, um, Adam Grant, Angela Duckworth. But Angela was saying that she thinks that therapy might, like talk therapy might even be a placebo. (laughs) And that like just knowing that you're going to go somewhere and talk about something that's bothering you and have someone listen and like knowing that um, it could help you actually does help you. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of like when you mentioned the, um, the test study they were doing where the control group that was doing the drugs, 40 Mm -hmm. or 45% of people taking the placebo felt just as good as people taking the drugs. Well, that's also kind of like, they're not taking the drugs, but the idea of something helping them is making them feel better, which is positive psychology psychology yeah. right there and you didn't even know you were doing it yeah it's, it's it makes you feel better to know that you're taking a step i think so yeah like i know you're for me action towards it yeah. for me that is that is a huge thing a friend of mine um a friend of mine just bought a condo and they had something go wrong basically the second they moved in listeners if you're not aware my basement right now of my home uh looks like uh I don't know, a bomb went off or a drug den. I don't know. It's it's completely gutted. And that was not a fun pandemic plan. That was a, we tried to fix one thing and then we found 10 million other things and it oh, no. snowballed. And my friend was like fixing this one thing and was like, how do you not, how do you not get super bummed out about this? How do you not like fixate on it and, and let it just torment you day in and day out? And she was especially talking about like, deflating the joy of having bought a home Mm. and I was just like I just told her for me I just need to know that there is a plan so I make a plan and sometimes that plan is I have to call this professional because I don't know what to do but knowing that I'm gonna call that professional tomorrow at between like when Mm -hmm. their office is open is enough to make me feel like I did something (laughs) to solve yeah Well, in it, you feel like it's in your control and you feel like it's temporary, right? Which is the opposite of learned helplessness. And it's and not pervasive. It's not about the whole house. It's just about the basement. Yeah. It's just a thing. And I'm going to I'm gonna do what I can do. And maybe all I can do is call somebody and ask them what they can do. But that's still something I can do. I can, I can do an action. It's the little things. Oh, my gosh. Hey, Nat, what you been up to during the pandemic? Oh, God. 
eating mostly. Oh, like cooking and eating homemade meals and stuff? <laughs> no, like ordering delicious sweet treats and cakes from ECBG Cake Studio. They make specialty cakes for all occasions. They make wedding cakes, they do custom cookies, they have all sorts of sweet treats you can order and pick up. Don't they also do online baking classes? They do. So I guess I could get more hands-on with my baked good habit. While Natalie stops salivating, you should go visit at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram and their website, ecbgstudio.com. Oh man, I think we have it in us for another story. I have a quick one. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a a pivot. I've researched this before, but I did not research this for this episode. But we're having such a happy, healthy episode. I don't want to bring it down. So <laughs> I'm gonna pivoting talk- is actually like uh, I think a positive psychology term that people use. So it's totally yeah, it's right in. We're going we're gonna to pivot into something that is still joyful in its own way because I forgot how, I feel like we don't dance enough as humans. <laughs> and I especially don't, I used to be in dance class or in a musical all the time, or I was a dance minor for a little bit in college. And so I used to have that baked into my routine and sometimes I realize that I miss it and you know you gotta like you gotta pull Jonathan Van Ness and you just gotta dance while you make your coffee in the morning yes queen it's it's what you need um (laughs) so we're gonna talk about a dancer but because I make everything about Chicago we're gonna talk about a Chicago dancer specifically a burlesque dancer who isn't a, from Chicago, but what she is most notorious for happened in Chicago. Does Do either of you guys know who Sally Rand is? No. Okay, well, that's fine, because I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Sally Rand was a burlesque dancer, like I said, but before that, she was an actress. And before that, for a little while, she traveled with a circus and did um, acrobatics, I think. She traveled with the Ringling Brothers. So she was born in Missouri, in like small town Missouri. She was born to like a military family. Her mom was a teacher. Her dad was a retired army colonel. And at some point she just got the entertainment bug. I think like she did a show and when she was like a teenager and like a drama critic saw it. And it's, to me, that's bananas. But because I'm like, what drama critic was going to like? Right youth theater but (laughs) she got like glowing reviews and she's like oh i'm really good at this and i like this i like this attention and i like this positive reinforcement so she started doing summer stock she traveled with the ringling brothers like i said and she was like you know what hollywood or bust and kind of bust um she did some (laughs) silent films her her name wasn't sally rand she was actually born helen beck and she was given the name Sally Rand by Cecil B. DeMille. So, Ooh. you know, she, she did well enough for herself, caught enough attention in Hollywood to have gotten Cecil B. DeMille's attention. And if Cecil B. DeMille gives you a name, you keep the name. You keep that. Uh, duh. <laughs> I love, I don't know if this is true. I only saw it on Wikipedia. But the, the, her name was inspired by a Rand McAl- McNally atlas. And I'm just like, was, that's like a, that's very much like a just naming things around you and saying <laughs> that like, oh, what's your name? Um, my <laughs> name is 
pen pen penny bottle <laughs> penny penny bottle um but you know if cecil beeman demille yeah. gives you a name that is your name for life i mean that's, <laughs> that's how all... i do improv is i just look around and then like use something in the room so yeah. that's yeah. that's how cecil b demille learned too yeah see you're just like cecil b demille yeah <laughs> like, not yeah, many people when... know cecil b demille was a fantastic improviser fantastic <laughs> he was really into scene work <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really into building a space he toured yes. with second city oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh so so she was in she was in some silent films and i get the impression that when sound films became a thing like she wasn't in that many films anymore but it's because from the sounds of it from a performance perspective her strength was movement so she was in sound films but mostly as a dancer and the dance that she is known for is a little naughty something something called the fan dance do you know what <gasps> fan dances are i very i do I God so. the mister who comes between <gasps> me and my sister lord help the sister who comes between me and my man I love it because it's it's not going to be synced up at all in the audio, and I don't care. I That's don't the nature care. of the Zoom, and it brought me so much joy. <laughs> I love so, that song. In that number, in that film, uh, they obviously they were wearing clothes, and but the fan dance is a it's a dance where you're it's a burlesque dance where you're holding fans in front of yourself and then it's a series of movements where you're teasing bits and pieces of your body but nothing is ever seen because the fans are so large and blocking you it is also an illusion because most of the time fan dancers are wearing a nude bodysuit behind the fans but it's convincing enough that if you fake news fake 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 news yes uh so she she popularized the fan dance i don't think she created the fan dance she did create another style of burlesque dance uh what they called the bubble dance i will post videos of both of these um and the bubble dance came out of necessity because she would perform outside a lot and wind was difficult with the fan dance of maintaining the allure and the illusion so she popularized it at the paramount club in chicago well, and wait, what was she doing with bubbles? Yeah, that's what I, I think wanted to do. Is it like bubble wrap? She wrapped herself in bubble wrap. And I couldn't find it. a good description of the bubble dance, but I did find an image of her inside a giant bubble. <gasps> oh, okay. I yes. was thinking like blowing bubbles. I was like, well, if wind is an issue with fans, it's definitely going to be an issue with bubbles. <laughs> yes. I feel like even even dancing inside and trying to control the bubbles to cover your bits is going to be difficult. Bubble bits. Bubble bits. Bubble bits. Yeah, so I pop, think pop. I'll find Sorry. a video of the bubble dance and I'll and I'll post one, but I think it's like she's in like a big bubble. And to it. me it gives me very like you're at um a burlesque club and somebody's like dancing or like like kicking around in a giant martini glass like that image mm-hmm. kind of thing um, but above a bubble it's all very elegant um and beautiful looking the reason i wanted to talk about her is i is because she popularized the fan dance in chicago and her most famous appearance 
was at the 1933 Chicago World's Fair. So, Natalie, you don't know anything about that, though. How could you possibly tell us about it? You've never spoken on it. I don't know. (laughs) I actually don't know much about the 1933 World's Fair. Okay, that's Uh, fair. Yeah. That's fair. Fair. (laughs) Cute. You're all very cute. Um, I know more about the, oh shoot, what's it called? The, the Columbia Exposition, uh, which was 1893. So I know a little bit more about that one, but she was at the 1933. So they had her dancing. And I think part of the reason was because in the 1893 World's Fair, they had dancers too, who were part of um, the section of the World's Fair where they basically just like co-opted other cultures and were like, come perform at this thing. And they had belly dancers at the 1893 World's Fair that got a lot of attention for being scandalous because it was 1893. Uh, They were called the Little Egypt Dancers. And the 1933 (laughs) World's Fair, they were like, in 1893, we showed showcased all of these cultures. In 1933, Here's basically what us for that time a stripper. <laughs> because that's our culture. Thank you, America. <laughs> but it's so great because she she had like a backing orchestra and she would do she'd like play peekaboo behind her fans and she was arrested four times, I think in one day at the night yes. world's fair. I let me find it. Yeah, four times in a single day due to perceived indecent exposure after one of her fan dances. Once while riding a white horse down the streets of Chicago, which I assume she was just like in a fanciful costume. Didn't that just happen on 94? Yeah. Someone's uh, riding their horse. Yeah, it was a, a what's it called the, the dreadlock cowboy. Yeah. Yeah, the nudity on the horse was only an illusion. And then another time she was body painted by Max Factor Sr. with his new makeup formulated for Hollywood films. And I assume it was like body paint where you're basically nude. They said four times that she was arrested, but I can only find a list of three things she was arrested for. But I will take the internet's word for it. Uh, As you should. Always. Yeah, always. The internet would Cal never... and I are the same person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trust it implicitly. Just say the same <laughs> yeah. thing. But I love it so much when they describe her, they're like, she was independent, tough, she swore like a sailor, and she flew an airplane to gigs, which I think she means she flew that damn airplane. Yes. She toured a bunch performing with, like, performing, and every now and then a husband would tag along. She's married, I think, like, three or four times. This whole time she wanted to be a a quote-unquote real actress. She wanted to be a dramatic one. And time and time again, she would try to return to the stage. Um, Other stars adored her. She was friends with Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. She attended Debbie Reynolds' wedding to Eddie Fisher. But every time she tried to perform on stage, her- Got arrested? No. (laughs) Just for being there. Her fans wanted her fans, let's Mm. say. So she would always return to the fan dance. In 1936, she moves now to San Francisco. She, oh wait, hold on, one more fun anecdote about the 1933 World's Fair. So I mentioned the little Egypt belly dancers from the 1893. And one of them was still alive during the other World's Fair and came 
to see it and they came to see her dance and left because they were like ah so like they were horrified they were they they were yeah they were just like this is too explicit for 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 me and i don't have a source on that other than i attended it i choose to believe it (laughs) no i attended a um a depaul alumni event early in the core that was about both comparing and contrasting the two world's fairs and that was a fun anecdote about Mm -hmm. uh the performances that i was like that in is amusing to me so in san francisco I assume she gets arrested a lot, but in San Francisco, she purchases the music box Burlesque Hall, um, which later became the Great American Music Hall and and did shows there. She left and did summer stock here and there again. Most of the time, her, her fellow actors are like, yeah, she's okay. She seems, there's a um, an account that says that she seemed like she cared more about her costume than learning her lines. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> but I'm great. I'm sure it was a great costume. Her whole career has been built on costuming. Yeah. So yeah. She knows the importance of it. in San Francisco, she was arrested twice again in nineteen forty-six. She was arrested by six police officers in the audience, which I hope means that they were just there for a night in the town and then decided to arrest her because that's Oops. Uh, that's the narrative I choose to believe. Um, <laughs> as she danced seemingly nude behind her large fans, the judge granted her immunity should she be arrested for the same offense while on trial. So basically the judge was like, it's wow. kind of inevitable. You're going to go back. We can't tell you you can't go back to work. We're not closing down your show. So if you get arrested again, that one doesn't count. We'll just focus on the one you're currently on trial for. <laughs> Also, can I just also say San Francisco? That's all. I just want to. Say it. I just need <laughs> to say it. I've just been holding in it in for too long, <laughs> um, and it wasn't going to be healthy if I held it in no. any longer. Fan or fan Francisco? Oh, <laughs> doubling up! It is. Two it fans. is. Uh, it is a two fan dance, a two fan tango, if you will. <laughs> so she's on trial again. And she gets arrested again, like the judge expected. And despite her immunity and the fact that she was wearing long underwear, so she was just dancing with full long underwear behind it to be like, please stop arresting me. And And there was a note on her that she had put that said, censored SFPD which I love. Wow. It's wonderfully passive aggressive. <laughs> um, and the, and what the judge did is the judge viewed her, came and saw her show, viewed her performance, and then cleared her of all charges after deeming that, quote, anyone who could find something lewd about the dance as she puts it on has to have a perverted idea of morals. Yeah. So, so that is more or less the story of Sally Rand. She went on performing. She was on a lot of like panel shows. Uh, like I think the show is called What's My Line? Yeah, not, not oh. Whose Line, What's My Line? She was on To Tell the Truth. So she was often used for like panel show stunt things and o- almost always guessed correctly by the panel if they, she's like hidden. They have to like guess by her voice or a description of her what she did. She performed well into her 70s her she she kept it tight is basically what the <laughs> sources say sources say sally kept it tight and um, uh yeah oh sorry i just google imaged her because i used to, i used to watch all of those like panel shows even when like you can find a lot of those ones 
the black and white ones on YouTube, like the old ones. So I was like, I might recognize her. And I don't, but when you said she performed well into her 70s, one of the first pictures I saw was her, she must be in her 70s. And I can confirm, she's keeping it tight. She's looking good. Yeah, she looks good. Sources confirm that Sally kept it tight. So (laughs) that is more or less the story of Sally Rand. I just felt like we needed, we needed a little bit of feather, feather and fanfare to uh There's, to close out yeah. this this episode if anyone cares about sports on wikipedia it, it's i don't care i only care about real football um soccer soccer thank you apparently there's a football play named after her because oh. it, it wikipedia said that the play misdirects the de- the defense or in other words like the dancer herself the offense was showing more than they actually had <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love that so that's so i feel like i feel like it's a little a little cliche but i still love it anytime we talk about a woman from history and they're like she swore like a sailor i was like i know exactly who that broad is and i love her and i want to be friends with her that's my favorite archetype (laughs) more like a sailor (laughs) and then i always end up calling her a broad which i feel like Mm -hmm. i'm entitled to do as a broad myself as a broad yeah as a broad so with the uh, Sally Rand, there's like Rand McNally maps, right? Do you, yeah, were, that's were those around? Really what inspired her name? Yeah, go in places. Right. <laughs> hey, I'll call you. I'll call you Rand. <laughs> Sally Rand. Sally Rand. <laughs> this makes me. This brings me so much joy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm. You know what? You guys are making yeah. me feel really glad that I that I decided to pivot. And uh, and go with and you kept, with and it was Sally happy Rand. and it was joyful. I, like it. I love I like it. it a lot, and I love Sally Rand. I'm gonna have to. Are there videos of her? Oh, there are videos. I will. I will <laughs> post videos for our listeners. As as you know, you can find visual aids on the Instagram and the Twitter at Shared Pod. We will we will put those there. Anything that Courtney mentioned via org for that sure. strength test. We'll 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 post that i'll we'll we'll collect all the goodies and we'll give you all the tools that you need for a happy healthy history yourself but also natalie and i need to watch sally ray yeah natalie and i will both take the via character test and then we'll tell you what an ideal date based on our strengths would be it's oh, we'll put room. that all on the ground oh wait are we gonna <laughs> yeah, do it's an escape room We'll do our own <laughs> compatibility. Should we do it as a bonus episode where we'll, we'll take it and then we'll... Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe we'll throw that on the Patreon. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Patreon, y'all, we have a Patreon. Oh. Where can they find that, Natalie? Oh, you can find our... It's our, our whole network shares a Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash arcade audio. We have a bunch of uh, bonus episodes there. We have the video from our live show back when people could gather in a room with Mr. James Galanis, my, one of my former teachers from high school, telling us more about the neighborhood central mummy and then we have our little local series where we tell you something that you didn't know about who the hell that street by you is named after in your local in your town there's a lot of chicago history in that because i only do chicago but there's some des moines history in there as well because i do des moines yeah (laughs) and you can send us any questions questions or suggestions or just if you have a topic that you want us to cover, um, you can email us at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. And Courtney, where can they find you on the internet? They can find me at courtneyrue.com. And how to spell my 
last name is, I think of it like um, I owe you, like I owe you money with a prescription on the end, Rx. I love so, that so much. Um, CourtneyRue.com. And then on the social medias, I'm at Courtney Rue at most places. I'm really on Instagram the most. I but... can confirm. Because <laughs> I follow her. I do a lot of Instagram <laughs> stalking of Courtney. I love Love it. I do a stock you too. Uh, um, but if you do, if you do a Patreon thing with the strengths uh, via character thing, I would love to be involved in that. Yes. Yes. FYI. Yes. Also, fun fact, fans, not many people know this, but Natalie got Courtney on the show by emailing her and said, hey, you should come to our office, PT. <laughs> and uh, Courtney showed up at just an empty building and um, there was a, a computer there. And we started Zooming. Yeah. Instead of giving her money, we said, do research. The Zoom starts now. I hope hope you feel knowledgeable. Also, this is an escape room. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Ooh, you're not getting a million dollars. Oops. Okay. Well, oops, we did it anyway. I also highly recommend you check out Courtney's podcast, The Whole Artist. I love it. For me personally, I just love that there's an artist and a performing arts podcast that has a often Chicago lens to it. A lot of folks, you have guests on there who are no longer in Chicago, but maybe they got their start in Chicago. And it's, it's always nice to hear that, whether they're actors or writers or whatnot. So I wholeheartedly recommend the Thank whole you. artist with Courtney Rue. It brings me <sighs> much joy. It brings and me also, joy too. Good. I, it would be, I would be <laughs> sad that you were doing it if it didn't. Right. Yeah. Uh, it also brings me much motivation. I feel like every oh, time good. I listen to an episode afterwards, I'm like, I can do anything, <laughs> which is great. That's it's awesome. what. It's what I need right now. So a lot of people tell me it's like exactly what they needed to hear at at this time. And that's, that's what I want to do. I just want to put something out there that like helps people. And like the theme song says, part inspiration, part education, the whole artist from Courtney Rue, be your best you. Honestly, (laughs) that's the most amazing. Yeah intro so like now we, we need lyrics <laughs> you, were, you were supposed to write them i fall um, my bad i did not write that my friend jamie martin wrote that in, in like five minutes and then you were like this is perfect you saw into my very soul and they were like yes yes i did yeah sometimes i look at who you have on as a guest and i'm like oh that might not be like super relevant to me but i'm gonna listen to it anyway and then i'm always like i'm so glad yeah. That I listened to this episode. Okay. Oh, two two thumbs <laughs> all the way up. Gosh, oh, what a you. what a fun and even though we started with talking about the Holocaust, uh, what yeah. A, you know what? There was nowhere to go but up, and we I think <laughs> hit the ceiling on that one. Yep, we went all the way up. <laughs> That's how I do it. Yeah. Uh, I bring up the Holocaust wherever I go, so that anything that happens next <laughs> is just really exciting. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm going to try that now, and it's going to not pan out in my favor. <laughs> it's not going to work. Wow. Um, well, <laughs> this has been a delight. Thank you for joining us, Courtney. Thank you for listening. All of our, all of our friends out there, our Sharon Stones, our... <laughs> Sherry, I don't remember. We've done so many of those. Sherry Potters. Yes. As always, we will share you later. It just gets longer every time we do. <laughs>
Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.